0: Hi everyone, welcome to In the Making. I'm your host, Katie Stewart, founder of Cheyenne Studio. Today I'm here with Holly Yan. She's an artist and curator/slash creator of gallery number 17. The mission of Gallery Number 17 is to promote artists that are underrepresented within traditional art galleries. So we're talking about women, LGBTQ, artists of color, pretty much anyone that doesn't have a platform to share their voice and their perspective. Holly. Hi. Tell us a little bit about your path into this world. I think the art world is one that is tricky to get into and a little scary to a lot of people. I know after art school I had no idea how to get into an art gallery or where to even start and I think there's a lot of pretension around the area and the whole The whole thing. Art galleries just sound like these big, scary places that are going to judge you. Um, And I think a lot of people don't feel like they're accessible. So I'm curious to hear about your path getting into this and,
1: yeah, how you found yourself here. Yeah. Well, it was a lot of things that kind of came together all at once the beginning of 2019, including my travels. I traveled around the world between November and March last winter. And I found that really all I wanted to do is go to art galleries. I found myself at not one, but two biennials in two different countries. Um, met a lot of artists that way that felt the same way, that the gallery world is really intimidating. The art world in general is pretty... Exclusionary and exclusive. Exclusive for certain artists of a certain name and also of non artists, people who enjoy, maybe enjoy art or feel like art should be a part of their cultural development, but don't really know how to look at art or talk about art. So it was partly that. And then a gallery in Brooklyn that Shall remain nameless, has been has come under fire in the past few months for not paying their staff a mm. fair wage, giving different artists different cuts from sales, lack of transparency, a lot of money coming into the gallery, but none of it really going into any kind of community efforts, even though they said that they're a community center. So kind of seeing a lot of how galleries are, for lack of a better word, just doing it wrong. Tell me a little about your path even before this, because Mm -hmm. I feel like,
0: so when I met you, we met in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. We used to take dance classes together. So that was like another past life, right? It was a whole different version of Holly and Katie. And
1: you were a speech therapist.
0: Mm -hmm. Were you
1: making art? Back then? No. You weren't. So yeah, if we want to go even further back to when I was drawing on the walls of my bedroom as a child, (laughs) getting in trouble for defacing my parents' property, um, there was that. I've always had art in my bones. And I went to art school. I didn't finish, but I did a lot of classes at various colleges and always loved it always loved making art. But then mid-twenties came along and I felt like I needed to focus on a career and make money and have some stability and security in my life in that way. And also to you know maybe finally gain parents approval. Yeah. And so I did that. I went to school. I went, I went to college. I went to graduate school and became a speech therapist. Did that for a few years and was so stressed out. I've never been so stressed in my life. It was the first time I experienced stress on a physical level.
0: Yeah, Um, which I think most of us have experienced in various jobs we've had. They get to a point where you just physically either dread Monday or are so stressed out and working late. mm -hmm. It's kind of just part of
1: culture. It is. And for some reason, it's valued to run yourself into the ground for a job. Um, but it was really a matter of my health and well-being. The money was great and <laughs> all these paid vacations and my benefits cost me $20 a month for, you know, vision, dental, life insurance. I mean, everything I had a retirement plan and 401k and all those things. And still, still, it's just, none of it was worth it to me. And, and then you moved to New York shortly after mm-hmm. that. About
0: six months later. Yeah. So you came to New York knowing that you were starting over, not going to do speech therapy. So I didn't
1: know that. I thought I I came. I got to New York because I just always wanted to live in New York. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see what everything was about. I had been in the San Francisco Bay Area for thirteen years. I thought I'd never leave, and and so a couple months after I moved to New York, somebody asked if I wanted to share an art studio with them, and I hadn't been in the arts for ten years, and. So like, yeah. Did you have any plan for what you wanted to
0: do with Absolutely it once you not. agreed to be a part of it? Nope. No idea. No,
1: nope. No plans. No plans. I just said, yes. Why not? So, so I did awesome. it. Yeah. So I got the gallery and it was really, really painful.
0: <laughs> so like, I'm kind of, it's funny. I'm kind of jealous of this way of thinking in general, because I've been painting for a long time, as you know, and Mm -hmm. as you can see, we put a, um, we put an easel up in our apartment, in our living room, because to be honest, I am too hesitant to go out and get a space to actually work in. I felt like when I moved to New York, rent is so expensive here, and to have a a space to work in, I would have to pay all this extra money and then I'd have to commute to go actually create art and when would I actually go do that on top of working? And it's kind of amazing that you just said okay and went for it. What did you do on the first day you walked in the studio? What did you what was the first thing you did in your
1: art studio? Well, it was August and it was really hot in there. So the first thing I did was I took off all my clothes and took a naked selfie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, that was the first thing I did. And then um, I think I either went out and got some acrylic paint and found some wood somewhere in the building or on the street and started painting, it. and it was horrible. <laughs> it was just me like trying to go back to something I hadn't done in a really long time. I didn't feel like I had a creative voice. Or a style or a body of work. It was, it was really intimidating. Like when you get a blank canvas on your easel and you just look at it and you're like, make something. Yeah. That's so intimidating. It's so horrifying. It could be anything. Do you remember what you painted on the first day? I think I just painted this piece of wood white.
0: That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. So you made the
0: wood into a a canvas, essentially, Mm -hmm. for yourself. A blank canvas, yeah. So once you started exploring that, where did that take you?
1: Lordy, sometimes (laughs) when you say no to the things that aren't working for you, and you say yes to something new and fresh, even if it's scary or uncomfortable to make that transition, the world just opens up. So really soon after I got into the studio and I was working a lot on artwork, um, I met a woman, Mara, who runs a really great event. You should have her on your show. (laughs) Um, She does home audio series, which is a pop-up experimental music event in people's homes around New York. It's really, really fantastic. So I was just at a going away party for our mutual friend, Suzanne. And then I was listening to Mara talk about her event, Home Audio, and it had been going on for seven or eight years. But it's just now that she is trying to bring in more visual arts to be a part of the whole experience. And so I'm listening to her talk about this and I look over and said, oh, you're looking for visual art. I make art, give me a deadline. So I have something to do. And so that was it. I probably have made visual art for four or five of her shows and collaborated with other artists. And so that's what I'm saying is like, when you find the dream, when you find the thing that you're meant to be doing and you want to be doing all these opportunities, like it's, it's this, this web spreads out this like network expands and you meet all these people and then the vision starts to come about the opportunities proliferate and it's just it's really kind of amazing what made you think to take
0: your studio and your your solo practice of creating and making and having the space for yourself and turn it into a gallery which means you're now sharing the space with other people what made you think of that idea, and then what made you put it into
1: effect? Uh, I accepted that I am not a terribly creative person on my own. How so? Um, well, I, I am in some ways, but I'm always inspired by another artist, Usually Usually by my own friends. So
0: you're inspired by collaboration. Yes. Because I think everyone's creative. creative. I feel like you're selling yourself short
1: (laughs) by saying you're not a
0: creative person. So I was curious to hear what you were going to say about that. Because I think everybody has something to bring to the table in terms of creativity. But yours your point of inspiration might come from conversations Mm -hmm. or talking to others or collaboration. So That's something you learned about yourself?
1: Yeah, so I guess I should rephrase and say that I'm not, um, that I, I guess I accepted or I let go of, I should say, I let go of this notion of me being like this creative, tortured solo artist, this person that's just churning out work all the time. I let go of this idea of showing my work and only doing work for myself that feeds me, then when that settled in to my brain, I wanted to open up the studio to somebody else who could come in a few weeks at a time, maybe work with me on something, work on their own thing, and that is has been really helpful. Is having other artists around keeping creative juices so essentially moving, forming your creative own. flow. Forming your own community, right? Like my own community. Creating mm-hmm. a source
0: of inspiration, another person to be around, to kind of inspire your work as you go. Mm-hmm. So you had this realization; mm-hmm. you wanted to start inviting artists in. How did you turn that into
1: a gallery? Well, it started because it right when I got back from those travels, I met this woman as she was moving out of one of the studio spaces. And I introduced myself, we started chatting, she said she's a ceramicist, but she's moving out because she doesn't have a kiln in the studio and it was becoming too much of a pain to take these fragile ceramics over to a studio or a kiln across town and have them fired. And I said, you know, there's another person in here who has a kiln and is a ceramicist. She's like, oh, I didn't know that. We're all in really close quarters. Really? There's only 21 studios in this fairly small building and that we don't know who's in these little rooms and what they're doing and what they're making. And maybe there's some resources to share, some opportunities to share for grants or employment. And that started off like, oh, maybe I should have a monthly gathering where we can meet each other, share resources and ideas. Maybe there's an art critique wrapped up in there. So the first one that I scheduled was my friend Meryl. Um, I was going to have her just come in and share work and have it be workshopped, but it started morphing into more of a, Gallery show space, a, an event space. So it kind of happened naturally. So, yeah, I wanted it to be more like a gathering of artists for other artists. Like the old school salon. Yes, yeah. exactly. But I don't think, do those
0: exist anymore?
1: um They do at
0: my gallery. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know,
0: even in New York, one of the biggest art cities in the world. There's a lot of gallery shows and places where you can go see things exhibited. But to be a part of an artistic community where you don't have to pay money, but but to just have a place to share your work and let people talk about it, ask them what they think of it, uh, try to gain new inspiration. Maybe there's some on meetups or on event break somewhere that I just don't know about or haven't looked into. But I haven't seen a whole lot of that. There's not a known salon these days whereas I remember being in art history classes and our teacher would talk about the impressionists and they'd go to the the salon and discuss one another's work and that's how certain styles of art spread when we didn't have the internet to do so and it's kind of interesting that that part of the art world kind of has gone away at least after college after you get out into the world.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So you wanted to start that sort of thing
1: in your gallery. Yeah, I think there's some unspoken expectation that artists are going to be in their studios by themselves all the time, making work in a vacuum, which kills community. Yeah. And so I wanted to get to know the people in my building. Since then, that's also been great. And I think like when you start something... It's like making a little baby and then you just let your baby run free. Yeah. You let it grow into mm -hmm. the world and become
0: whatever it's going Mm -hmm. to be.
1: So your art studio transformed
0: itself into more of a gallery and community space pretty naturally. How did you then decide you're just going to go with it and make it an official gallery and put this out into the world and start treating it like a business?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I had the first show in April and then my neighbor, studio neighbor, said that he wanted to participate, so he was the second artist that month. I went to Sachi Art. It's called the Other Art Fair, and met several artists through that fair. Picked up the third artist who showed at Gallery Number Seventeen, and just just meeting other artists and i think like you were saying earlier it's really hard to get into a gallery and know when to start where to start who to talk to how to talk to them what to present it's so intimidating yeah and that's because the art world has it wrong right now they're expecting the artists to chase the curators and that's not how it should be the curators should be going after the artists because the show is not about the curator. It's about the artist. And all too often I come across these videos about art shows, the art fairs, the biennials, and it's always the curators yammering up a storm about their interpretation of the work. That's just their interpretation. Where's the artist's voice? And so that's what I do is I pursue the artist that I like, that I want to work with. So after the third show... I decided to show only female, queer, non-binary artists and not show any more men because we've heard enough from men. Um, There are plenty of amazing male artists out there. We don't know enough about the female artists who are out there. The the women of color artist, queer artist. I mean, how many queer artists can we name? I can't at the moment think of anything off the top of my head even, you know? So that I think is an important mission that I can carry through all of my future work with any kind of art and maintain that integrity, that anchor.
0: So let's take a step back for a Mm -hmm. minute. I want to talk about your idea of, curators going out and finding artists Mm -hmm. and focus on that a little bit. I think Mm -hmm. the art world, art galleries are pretentious and they are selective and no one really knows what their criteria is because it's subjective. Mm -hmm. Art is not a yes or no, right or wrong platform. If somebody likes it or sees something interesting about it, they may accept you. Honestly, if your parents have the right last name, they may accept you, but it's a very, selective yet non-transparent process so I think it's super interesting that as someone with a gallery space for people to show their work that you're looking to reach out to artists that you want to work with how are you finding them besides people in your building that we had already talked about but where are
1: you going to look for work that interests you Instagram um, other friends Mm -hmm. always in my life I meet the artists and the freaks and the weirdos who are all making stuff. So to me, it doesn't feel very hard to find the artists. That's it, really. I've had friends call me and say, I have this painter friend who would love to show at your gallery. Um, The shop where I go and get artwork artwork framed called me a couple of weeks ago and said, I have this artist here who I think you'd really love working with her. How... How do you determine who you
0: want to show? Have you had to say no to anyone? Have you had to say your views don't align with mine? What are what are your criteria for having people show?
1: Well, I've said no to two men so far who have reached out and asked me if I am accepting submissions. And I said, I love your work. Respectfully, I'm going to decline because I'm promoting the work of a certain demographic, uh, an underrepresented populations and they all seem really understanding and respectful of that I haven't had to turn anybody down because I don't like their work there was one woman who reached out to me from North Carolina and it just didn't work out because logistics I'm curious to know
0: what you've seen in terms of men dominating the art world I know that's you know a common theme in a lot of different industries but in terms of art, How do you see that happening in the art world?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, one thing is 90% of students in curatorial studies graduate programs are women. Out in the world, 90% of curators are men. So we can draw the conclusion that you don't need to go to art school to be a curator. You just need to be a man. And so then... Okay, well, what does a man have that I don't in terms of curating besides privilege and clout Mm -hmm. just by moving through the world being a man? Um, So there's that. And that was factored into my decision to shift over to showing only female and queer and non-binary artists and artists of color. There was that. And... I've done a few rounds of visiting the galleries in Bushwick. There are a lot of galleries opening right now and historically artists have accidentally contributed to the gentrification of neighborhoods and ultimately to the displacement of people who have been in those areas for generations and are now being pushed out because of rising rents and and so I want to be sensitive about my impact on the community. So for example, I'd like to start an art walk where you walk between all the different galleries, get to know your neighborhood, patronize the local businesses. But to do that, I can't come into a community where I've, I've just moved in and here are my ideas for this event. It, it feels like sort of, it, it, it's an imposition. It'd be like superimposing this event That tends to be exclusionary, exclusive, um, avocado toasty and (laughs) rosé all day kind of thing. right? Um, Which is not necessarily what the Bushwick community is about. And, you know, we lived in San Francisco. We saw how that went when the tech rush came. It just seems like every week I hear about some other staple venue in San Francisco closing down. I just went there a few weeks ago, um, back to my old neighborhood, 24th Street Mission Mm -hmm. District area. It's still the same. Yeah. And the reason it's the same is because of community efforts put forth to preserve that culture. So do you feel
0: that by hosting artists that are local, maybe from Bushwick or were within that community for a very long time you'll be able to help preserve some of that
1: Mm -hmm. some
0: of that original bushwick feeling even though Mm -hmm. the inevitable is going to happen Mm -hmm. the high rises will go up there but having a little piece of bushwick that you can be a part of and giving it back to the community is that part of what your goal is absolutely so they'll have a little
1: piece of it yeah i didn't want the community to be happy that there are, are, is an arts program and maybe there is already and I haven't found it yet mm-hmm. I've been reaching out to organizations like artists against displacement aad.nyc if you want to follow them on Instagram they're doing really amazing work they're mostly based in Lower East Side in Chinatown and making sure that there's affordable housing and Addressing the very concern that I have for Bushwick, which is artists moving into a, a location for the more space, lower rent, and then accidentally contributing to development you know, and displacement. So it's artists against displacement, which I think is such a fantastic idea. So for me, my focus would be on affordable housing. If I was going to move into any particular community engagement sphere, it would be. Housing, because that's the direct impact, right, that artists have on a neighborhood. So there's that, and I'm also currently taking a course through the University of Michigan on community engagement to make sure that I have, I maintain my integrity as an artist, as a curator, as a gallerist, and as a community member. When I'm, like, moving into a community to work on some projects, with different organizations and different people and to introduce new events and also to help preserve the magic that is Bushwick, which is such a fantastic area. I love Bushwick so much and I hope that it stays. It's crazy, colorful, really good food. Yeah. (laughs) you know, I want it to stay that way because I just because I saw it happen in San Francisco and yeah. I don't want that to happen again. So quickly.
0: So, your gallery is something you're setting up almost more as a community space than your traditional art gallery. Mm-hmm. You're trying to drop the pretension, drop the good art versus bad art, and just allow people to show what they care about and what they've been working on and making. How do you envision that growing over time? Is this something you're going to try to make money off of? Is this just something you're going to continue doing for fun? And I I don't think for fun is the right word, but to contribute and be be a part of something. How do you see this going in the future?
1: I have no idea. I was thinking about this last night and we're going to get a little woo-woo. Sometimes you put something out there, right? Like yesterday I was like, I want somebody to buy me a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Putting that into the universe. And somebody did about five minutes later. It was great. Perfect. Um, and And I thought about it like, oh, I wonder if I could do that with the gallery or with my art or with, you know, what? Okay. And so what's my vision? Like tonight, I wanted somebody to buy me a whiskey sour, and they did. That was really cool. <laughs> Thanks, it universe. all works out for the best. So what can I put out there as a wish for myself and a wish for the gallery? And I don't know, because sometimes it's hard to form a vision if you don't know what you're doing, if that makes sense. If you don't know what you want to put in that recipe for your future, Like, if your future's a cake, like, what flavor of cake? Well, I don't know. I'm going to have to try a few flavors first and then figure out what my perfect cake looks like. Right. So Uh, you're taking uh, an experimental approach to it. Exactly. And just trying things out. Do work, you know, like, make your money. And then put the money into the gallery. See what happens. But then what ends up happening is I'm kind of groping blindly (laughs) Around for like, okay, let me try this today, like the community engagement course. Okay, I don't really know anything about community engagement. Let me take this course, see where that leads me. Sure. I want to start an art walk. All right, well, let me go and network with the other galleries and with the businesses in my community and see what happens with that. Because, like I said, you make a baby and sometimes the baby morphs into something that you had no, wasn't even on your agenda. So, yeah, really experimental. But if if I'm want to like form a loose vision right now for just for fun, then it would look like having a thriving art walk art community in the neighborhood where Um, I love all my neighbors and all my neighbors love me and I'm walking down the street and they go like oh my god Holly when's the next art walk and and I'm like oh it's coming up I'm so excited oh you're an artist oh we should go like get a coffee sometime and talk about art maybe you could have it so it's just this this I think it's selfishly it's like it's just a way to make more friends (laughs) it's like a way to like you know, meet other artists and then go support them in their work. And from there, the network continues to expand.
0: Yeah. You're like so, a, a real life networking app. or <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah <laughs> I think like somebody the, called uh, me an octopus a few months ago.
0: Really the like Tinder that. of art communities. Sure. Just looking for people to connect with and yeah. talk with and share with and grow mm-hmm. and see what you end up making, which is mm-hmm. kind of what art is about at its core. Art wasn't meant to be this thing for rich people and art that costs tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, that's great for the artists. I want them to get paid and make a fair salary like everybody else, but art that is in fancy galleries just for the rich is not why people make art. Mm -hmm. You don't go and you don't become an artist because You just want to make pretty things for people with a lot of money. You have something to say and you want to share that with people. So you're kind of getting to the core of what the art community is about in that sense. Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk about some of the past shows you've had at the gallery and some that are coming up. So tell us about your favorite exhibit that you've had so far. What was on display what made you curate that and put it on display?
1: Probably Meryl Merrill Spence's work. They take religious pamphlets, the ones that you get on the street from missionary groups. Of missionaries, yeah. yeah. Takes these religious pamphlets. Actually, it doesn't take them from the people. They take them after they've already been placed somewhere mm-hmm. on the wall or sure. tucked in a billboard or. Something. So they take them and then redact them with tape. Different colors of tape, too, which I like. Which reveals only certain words. And then it becomes this new thing. So you take a pamphlet. It's about something horrible. Sodom and Gomorrah or something. And take out all the negativity. Or take out the proselytizing. Taking out the directives, I guess. Like how you should live your life. And then just pulls out certain messages so they gave me one that just says help people all the other mm. words had been covered up except for just help people which i loved um another one that just says i am the devil <laughs> and everything else is blocked out but then it looks like it's just saying i am the devil with these little prayer hands in the corner so their work was really beautiful and they had never shown they haven't really called themselves an artist. So they've been asked multiple times if um, they wanted to show their work. And I said no, they said no, they said no. And I was the third person to ask. And finally, they're like, okay, fine. Yeah, sure, I'll do it. And that one was so good. And the turnout was just incredible. And through that, I met more artists, including another non binary, queer non binary artist, uh, Beck. And Beck just makes stuff. They make shirts and zines and buttons and they do tattoos and sculpture and painting. And so I'm not sure what's going to happen because it's still about a month away. But it will be uh, what I hope is it'll be like big. But so
0: one thing I think is really interesting about how you're curating is it seems like you're doing curation not through the art, and deciding if it's good or bad art. You're doing the curation through the type of person you're looking to share with the world. So you're just curating for voices that are maybe underrepresented in galleries, not for, yes, I like your work, no, I don't like your work.
1: Yeah, there's not necessarily a submission and vetting process. What I look for is the person that I want to work with, and then when we do our studio visit or our artist meeting, the first question I ask is, what is your ideal exhibit for your work? What is a vision? What's an impossible or abandoned project that you, that you want to carry through? And how can I help? Yeah, something that maybe they thought of but hasn't gotten made. But it just seemed impossible. They didn't have the time for it or the materials. Um, the gallery that wanted to show it Yeah. Um, Another artist, Catherine Kane, who's such an amazing performer and video video artist, Uh, she was rejected from the new museum, which is great. So I look (laughs) for rejects also.
0: Yeah. Yeah. which there's probably a million, a million of. So you're going to have a lot of things in your inbox based off of that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Open call for rejects. Yeah, I've been rejected
0: from tons of art galleries. Well, not even rejected. They usually just don't respond. No, the, yeah. the traditional thing is the no ghost. response.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which it shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't be carrying your portfolio to kingdom come just to be rejected. Yeah. You should be making art. Maybe having a website or your Instagram, networking with other people and finding it that way. Yeah. So it is about networking. It is about collaboration. It feels like this whole thing is almost your art. The gallery itself is
0: almost the art you're creating. It right. Is. It's kind of this big community experiment where you're just trying to bring everyone together and put it out into the world and see what comes out of it, mm-hmm. which is essentially an artist process often is taking a few variables, putting
1: them to together and seeing what they
0: come out with.
1: Yeah, and that is an art project. Um, my Bible is Hans Ulrich Obrist's book called Ways of Curating, which is so good. It's, the, it's a look into the mind of a curator that pursues artists, that highlights the artist, that lifts artists' voices up. And that's the angle that I want to take, not this... Exclusive, sort of capitalist right. way of going about
0: it—not um, not judging, hmm? but not judging, mm-hmm. but helping to accelerate or show the world
1: mm-hmm.
0: artists that align with your mission, or who you feel are misrepresented or underrepresented
1: mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, That's yeah, awesome. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, thanks.
0: Yeah. It's nice that you don't have a specific plan for it. I think it's nice that you're going to let it morph and grow as needed. And it's not some business entity for you. It's a community experiment, if you will.
1: I like that. Yeah. Community experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And I do do think
0: this is kind of like your own art piece. It's cool. It's unintentionally you are creating art through helping others create Mm -hmm. art by Mm -hmm. figuring this thing
1: out. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes too. It's really interesting to see how it's impacting me on Mm -hmm. a personal level as well. Yeah. I hope to see it evolve and maybe
0: eventually we can talk again about how this has turned into some large community platform in Bushwick that has, you know, maintained the community there even when the fancy condos are there, which is going to happen is probably is happening. happening currently yeah so
1: yeah well, thank you for having me on the show i look forward to that follow-up episode <laughs> yeah you know, when i'm a wildly successful wildly successful artist. curator mm-hmm. artist
0: and just person putting other people out there
1: i love it a successful yeah. person
0: successful that's what person that's, my that's goal. a goal in life isn't it so everybody who was listening again this is holly ann she's the curator and founder of gallery number no. 17 in bushwick you can look it up at gallery no no 17.com and find out what her next exhibit is check it out if you're in brooklyn or new york or
1: if you're visiting here mm-hmm. yeah okay. come on by i'm there all the time
0: You can also get info on some of the things we talked about in this podcast on our website, Shion, S-H-I-O-N, studio.com slash podcast. We'll have links to some of the resources and different things we talked about on this episode, as well as a little bit more info. Also, I want to give a shout out to Charmer and Clay for creating the music that you heard at the beginning and end of this episode. Follow them on Spotify. This song is called called orange blossom if you want to give them a follow so once again thank you for listening